text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew in chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 22 through 33. 22 through 33. If you'll remember last Sunday, I told you for these three Sundays, last Sunday, today, and next Sunday, I wanted us to have three Sundays where we look at Jesus. I call it three portraits of looking at our Lord Jesus as he stands forth to us from the text of sacred scripture. And in thinking about focusing on Christ for today in particular, I titled this sermon, From Fear to Focus. From Fear to Focus. Several years ago, when I was in the mountains of North Carolina, where you all know where I, that's where I'm from, when I worked at uh, the children's home, I also taught Sunday school at a local church there for four years in a row. One particular Sunday, I asked them a question question I got from one of my living mentors, a guy named John Piper. Some of you have heard of him. He, he wrote a book called God is the Gospel. Most all of his books I've purchased. I haven't read all of them. I've read most of them. Uh, but I still have a few more. But in this particular book, he asked a question. And, and you, you may have heard it before, but I think it goes very, very well with today. And I want you to hear it. As we are thinking today about from fear to focus, and the emphasis is on focus. <clears throat> Piper says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? If Christ was not there. In that class, that day, when I asked that question, a person in the class said, yes. I'll never forget that. And I asked it just as slowly as I did now so that we could think, so that we could ponder, so that we could meditate on what the question is really driving at. And the person honestly said, yes. I think that's a tragedy. I think that's a tragedy. And I want, I want us today in our text to understand we have nothing else if we don't have Christ. The life of a Christian believer is to be lived and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 
to 33. Immediately, he, meaning Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, and that's between 3 and 6 a.m., walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O oh, you of little faith, why, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Jesus, excuse me, and the, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Our Father, we come to you today asking that you would give us light, that we might see you, and that we might see us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may be different. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four points I'd like for you to see today. Four points I'd like for you to see today as we gaze at the Lord Jesus here in Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. And the first point I'd like for you to see is this. Jesus experienced loss and grief just like you. Jesus experienced loss and grief just like you. In verses 1 through 12, we learn that John the Baptist has been murdered. He's been martyred. He told the truth to the governor, a man named Herod the Tetrarch. Herod was doing some things he shouldn't have been doing, running around with someone else's wife. Well, that wife didn't appreciate John the Baptist putting their business in the street. The prophet was calling them out, calling out what the truth was. And she says to her daughter, ask Herod to give me his head on a platter. And he did it. He did it. Well, John's disciples, they bury the body of John. And then they go and they tell Jesus. They go and tell the Lord Jesus and verse 13 informs us that after hearing the news, 
Jesus wanted to get away. He wanted to be alone. He got in a boat and he went out on the sea, but it says the people followed him. The people followed him. Here we see the Lord Jesus experienced a deep loss. John was his cousin. John was his cousin. You learn about that in Luke chapter 1. The angel tells Mary, your kinsman Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, is with child. Jesus was baptized by John. John was his forerunner. John was a prophet of God. And John was his kinsman. Well, Jesus is human. Jesus is God and Jesus is human. And because he's human, he's just like you and me. Without sin. He loved people. And he felt the pain of loss. Just like you. And just like me. The scriptures tell us that he can sympathize with us. We find that in the book of Hebrews. And I can tell you all, it hurts. Hurts when someone you've known all your life is no longer there. You can't ask him questions anymore. You can't look them in the face anymore. When they've been removed. Several of you know very well what it is to lose a loved one. Well, our Savior here has lost a loved one. You know, I thought it very interesting as I was reading the commentaries, none of them focused on that. None of them focused on I thought that was very interesting. Well, Jesus knows also how it feels. You know, I also find it interesting that while he's grieving the loss of his cousin, John, he also finds the energy, the compassion to feed over 5,000 people. While he got into the boat and went away trying to be alone, the people, it says from the towns, they followed him. He got out of the boat, got back on the land, and they're crowding, they're around him, and they want to be around him. And evening comes, and the disciples say, well, go ahead and send them home and they, so they can go get them something to eat. And he says, no, no. And he feeds them. The text says 5,000 men, aside from women and children. There's probably over 10,000 people with just a little. In verses 22 to 23, after he feeds the 5,000, we read that Jesus sends the disciples on ahead of him, out on a boat into the Sea of Galilee. He also sends the crowds away. And why does he send everyone away? It's pretty obvious now. He wanted to pray. Jesus wanted to pray. That leads to the second point I want you to see in our text today. Jesus prayed in order to focus. Jesus prayed in order to focus. He sent the disciples away. He sent the crowds away so that he could be alone. I told you that his cousin has died. He's got to talk with the father. He's got to get there to talk with the Father, with no distractions. He, he needed to pour his out, his heart out to the Father. I, like you, can just imagine what was on his mind. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, in understanding or at least knowing a little of what was he feeling at the time. 
John's been martyred. A great loss has been suffered. And all for the sake of truth. And as we think ahead and what's going to happen in Matthew, we know this. Jesus will also give his life through great suffering. He's going to give his life as the ultimate sacrifice. And he knew this is coming to me also. All these things on his mind, all while doing ministry with all these people, trying to train these disciples to think like he thinks in terms of God's kingdom, in terms of God's purposes. He's focused, focused in prayer. The death of John only heightened this reality of pain and suffering. Well, this time Christ takes a different approach than in verse 13. He doesn't get on a boat. He organizes his time. He sends the disciples away. He dismisses the crowds. And it says he goes up on a mountain to focus. He goes up on a mountain to focus through prayer. And you know, this only serves to elevate the purpose and the necessity of prayer in the life of a Christian believer. Prayer is one of the ways God has provided for you and for me to be focused, to concentrate in our life on him. I remember one morning I'd spent uh, the night with my grandparents, my dad's parents, Daddy Howard and Mama Lucy. <laughs> I didn't call them grandma and grandpa. It made them sound old. Call them Daddy Howard, Daddy Howard, we say Daddy, Daddy Howard and Mama Lucy. I love them very, very dearly. I, I think of them often. But my grandmother, when I became a believer, she told me, she said, son, get your, they had given me a Bible the church had. She said, get your Bible, get you a notebook and get up early in the morning. Read the word and write out what you think. She told me about some of her own practices, one of which was, she said, every morning when I get up, I give the day to the Lord. I thank the Lord for the day. I spent the night with them on numerous occasions, but this particular occasion, I got up. I didn't know that they were awake, but I could hear Mama Lucy praying in her room next door, thanking the Lord for the day, commending the day to the Lord. She began her day focused, focused which leads to the third point I want you to see in our text today. Jesus wants you to focus and never to fear. Jesus wants you to focus and not to fear. Distraction disturbs and distorts. Distraction disturbs and distorts. Look at these disciples. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. This particular body of water is known for powerful storms to sweep down, cause trouble on the water. They've experienced this before. Well, now they're out on this boat again at night on the Sea of Galilee, except this time Jesus is not in the boat. The text says the wind was against them. It was battering the boat. And you all, the first time I ever got on a big boat, 
cruise ship. I was in high school. And we had to get up very early in the morning. I didn't put this in the sermon. It just came to my mind. But as we were, I was in high school. Some of the guys I played, uh, we were in chorus. It was a chorus group. Anyway, we were went to Disney World. We sang. We did all kinds of stuff. But we sailed from Florida, from Fort Lauderdale to the Bahamas. And we got on this huge cruise ship. I'd never been on a ship this big ever. We got up for breakfast that morning. It was early in the morning. And the boat was just in the water. Hadn't moved yet. But when that boat began to move, you all, all the breakfast that I had had begun to move also. <laughs> it wasn't a good, it wasn't good, amen, it wasn't good. <laughs> but imagine, uh, 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 a man I used to work with at Fourth, Pastor Ron Meyer, told me he was a chaplain on uh, a ship. And he told me of huge, is there way out, you know, in the ocean, massive waves. He said, and the ship just going up and down. Imagine being a fisherman on a little fishing boat out on this massive body of water. You have absolutely no control of the waves and you're going up and down all around. It's a scary situation. It's a deeply scary situation, one of which I pray I never have to deal with. Well, they're afraid. They're very afraid. They see something out on the water and they say, it's, an, it's a ghost. <laughs> they call Jesus an apparition. Interestingly enough, in the Greek, the word there is phantasma. We get our word phantasm, a, a ghost or a spirit. They immediately go to the superstitious because no man can walk on water. I've never seen it and I know none of you have ever seen it. No one can walk on water. This has got to be a, a spirit. But Jesus comfortingly lets them know it's him. One very important thing to see here in English, in our English Bible, it says, Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now imagine on this tumultuous sea and he's just walking, walking to them. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's what it says in the English. Well, in the Greek, it says this. Take courage. It is I am. Take heart. It is I am. Capital letters. Capital I. Capital A. Capital M. You know where that comes from? Comes from Exodus chapter 3. It is the covenant name of God that God reveals to Moses from the burning bush. I am that I am. I will be what I will be, I heard one of my professors say in Charlotte. I am absolute reality. All in the midst of circumstances that can destroy the lives of these men. God, as a man, walketh, we use the King James, he walketh on the water to his people, telling them there's no need to fear. No need to fear. Take courage. The God-man, our Savior, our King, our king is present. Well, let's look at Peter also. Peter. Well, Lord, if it's you, allow me to come to you on the water. I think he needed a little more assurance. He asked Christ to let him come to him, and Jesus says, come, come. Notice what happens. 
As long as Peter focuses on Jesus, he's able to walk on the water just like Jesus and to Jesus. As long as he is focused, he's walking through stormy seas to Jesus. As long as he is focused, as long as he looks at Jesus, all in Peter's life is well, even in such a scary, tumultuous, stormy life circumstance. As long as he focuses, as long as he fixes his eyes on Jesus, his life moves forward, regardless of what's going on around him. And you all, that's very, very good news. It doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. Does it mean bad things are not going to happen? Does it mean we're not going to get sad or even depressed or sick? But it means our lives will necessarily be different. Our perspective of how we deal with all these things will have to be different when the focus of our soul, when the, 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 the eyes of our heart look at Jesus. When Peter takes his focus off of Jesus and he places it on his circumstances, what happens? What happens? Say it a little louder. He sinks. When he was walking on the water, the wind was still blowing. The waves were still battering the boat. But while he was looking at the Savior, this man that he's watched heal people, feed over 10,000 people, when he stopped looking at him, everything changed. Peter begins to drown. He wavers. He has two minds about the situation. In the words of R.T. France, a commentator, he said, there's conflict between the evidence of his senses and the invitation of Jesus. Well, the Lord says, come, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. But oh my goodness, what's going on around me? France also says it is thus an illustration of the vulnerability of the disciple who allows doubt, the natural human perspective, to displace the faith which relies on the supernatural power of God. Isn't that something? Last week I told you Jesus can change any situation. You remember that? Any situation. This week we see him in the midst of a hellacious situation, but not for him, for these disciples. And in the midst of their fear and circumstances of which they have no control over, the Lord says, don't be afraid. I'm here. Out of desperation, Peter cries out to Jesus for salvation. Save me. And immediately Jesus rescues him. But notice the Lord's question. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why? What was the purpose of your doubting? You, you could ask the question this way. For what purpose did you doubt? To what end did you doubt? What was the point of your doubt when you have come so far? It's purposeless, you all. That's the point. And the God of creation, walking on the water, walking on the water to save these men, to come to be with these men. The one who spoke these waters into existence 
one who causes the wind to blow. He's present. Why did you doubt? God does not want you to doubt. God does not want me to doubt. And yet, this is how loving the Lord is. He graciously is patient with us, even while we are doubting. He's with us. This leads to the fourth point. Jesus is the object of your focus. The Lord wants you to be focused. And Jesus is the object of your focus. When Peter and Jesus get back into the boat, the wind stops. The storm ceases. And Matthew shares something quite remarkable here. Those in the boat worship. Jesus. <laughs> the wind stops. They get into the boat. They didn't drown. That, that, you got that, didn't you? They didn't drown. Peter didn't drown. Jesus didn't drown. They get off the water into the boat and the wind stops. The storm's gone. And they, in the boat, worship Jesus. And they say, truly, verily, of certainty, you are the Son of God. You're unlike anybody we've ever heard about, seen about, or known. You, Jesus, are different. I had a very good dinner last night with a small group that's thinking about becoming a life group. And one of the dear brothers said, now, you got to tell me, you got to make it plain, you got to give me some application. I thought about that when I left. <clears throat> and I thought as I was driving back home, oh, I've got an example. An example, you all, of application. And, and I'm going to conclude with this. I want, you to give an, I want to give you an example of a way to focus each day. Now, I'm using this example about me, but do know I am a sinner just like you, okay? But I believe it's a good example. Since the passing of my dad at the end of April, I made a commitment to send a scripture for the day to my mama, my sister, and my brother. I do it Monday through Thursday, sometimes Fridays. Fridays, I take off the day off. <laughs> but Fridays, sometimes on Fridays as well. But I also send it, I definitely send it Monday through Thursday. <clears throat> I also send it sometimes to my aunt, my dad's sisters, and some of my cousins. Well, last Monday, I sent Psalm 5 to my mom. I sent it as a text on the telephone. And uh, after I sent it, she sent it. <laughs> Five minutes later, she responded, I got that text while I was in the bank. She said, and I read that scripture to the bank teller. I said, oh, my goodness. So I replied to her. I said, yes, mama is sharing the word of God with other people. I gave them... <clears throat> I send these to them because I want their focus to be on the Lord. Even while they're dealing with pain and grief and loss and difficult circumstances. This summer, two of my dear friends from Raleigh came up here and went to London with, several, with our team from here that went to London. My friends, Josh and his wife, Jamie King. Well... When they got back from London, I, I picked them up at the airport. I had their car while they were away. 
And uh, because we were on that side of town and the time of day it was, I knew there'd be no driving back over here. So we had dinner over there in Tyson's Corner. And as I walked them to their car, before they, as they were heading back to North Carolina, Josh said to me, you know that scripture list you send to your mom and your brother and your sister? I said, yeah. He said, put me on that list, Terrence. I send it to him also every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, and every Thursday. He remembered me saying to him why I sent that to them. Josh and I worked together in the mountains of North Carolina. My grandmother died in October of 2008. He and I went off to uh, Louisiana in November with uh, a friend of mine in the mountains who sells Christmas trees down there. I'm rounding the story out on purpose. Um, But while we were there, Josh's mother was deathly ill. And he said, Terrence, what if mom dies while I'm away? I said, well, they'll fly you back up there. His mother didn't pass until December after we had returned. And we were able, I was able to give them scripture to be focused during that time of loss in their life. He remembered me telling me I wanted to help my family focus on God. God, who is the only one who can provide the peace that surpasses all understanding. And my brother in Christ asked me to help him focus on God. I've been sending that scripture to them since my family since May and to my friend Josh since July. And you all, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. My challenge to you today is to think of a way for tomorrow for you to focus on Christ. The storms of life are here. Some of you are dealing with incredibly difficult circumstances. And I will say to you, you will not get through them if you do not focus on Jesus. We need each other. But above all, you all, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Let's pray together. Song says, when all around my soul gives way, then you, O Lord, are my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this people. Thank you that they commit to coming to worship. They commit to coming to submitting themselves under your word. Father, we pray that you would allow us to focus, to take inventory and and, and, an evaluation and assessment of our own lives that we might remove the distractions that keep us from watching Jesus. Cries of the world are incredibly loud The pulls of our schedules are incredibly powerful. And yet the scriptures teach us that you have called us out of darkness into your kingdom of light to know you, to walk with you, and to reflect the reality of you in every sphere of influence that you've given us. I beg you, I beg you, dear Lord, Allow us, teach us, cause us to focus on the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.